I know when you think about all the things in nature, which we just sang about and how wonderful that is, I just want to ask you a quick question, and, and that is, in this world, when it comes to nature, there are dog people and cat people, right? How many of you are dog people? Wow. How many of you are cat people? Yeah, you can't be raising two hands like that. You're going to see why people are cat people and dog people. Listen to the excerpts from a dog's diary, okay? 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40, a walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12 p.m., lunch, my favorite thing. 1 p.m., played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m., wagged my tail, my favorite thing. Five, milk bones, my favorite thing. Seven, got to play ball, my favorite thing. Eight, wow, watch TV with the people, my favorite thing. Eleven, sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. That's the way a dog's life is, isn't it? Well, here are excerpts from a cat's diary. Day 983 of my captivity. (laughs) My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while all the other inmates and I are fed hash or some sort of dry nuggets. Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep up my strength. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. In an attempt to disgust them, I once again cough up a hairball on the carpet. Today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped its headless body at their feet. I had hoped this would strike fear into their hearts, since it clearly just demonstrates what I am capable of. However, they merely made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. Fools, I'm thinking. There was some sort of assembly of their accomplices tonight. I was placed in solitary confinement for the duration of the event. However, I could hear the noises and smell of food, and I overheard that my confinement was due to the power of allergies. I must learn what this means and how to use it in my advantage. (laughs) Today, I was almost successful in my attempt to assassinate one of the tormentors by weaving around his feet as he was walking. I must try this again tomorrow, but at the top of the stairs. (laughs) Oh, Oh, anyway. I am convinced that the other prisoners here are flunkies and snitches. The dog receives special privileges. He is regularly released and he seems to be more than willing to return. He's obviously retarded. (laughs) The bird has to be some kind of informant. I observe him communicating with the guards regularly. I am certain that he reports my every move. My captors have arranged a protective custody for him in an elevated cell so he's safe. For now. (laughs) I just thought, you know, you're probably wondering now, how does that tie to this sermon? It doesn't at all. I just think February is such a hard month to hump to get over. It's gloomy. It's dark. And you know what? You just got to laugh. You got to enjoy the fact God has given us some incredible things to laugh at, hasn't he? Things that are just wonderful to see. You know, I want to share with you as a pastor, I'm so excited about what God is doing in our midst. I'm so excited about how God is at work. In this series that I had just been completing, I've been going through Galatians. We stopped at a part in Galatians 3 through 5 specifically to, to take the words rescue which we've heard a lot about lately in finances, you know, God's great bailout. And we talked about how God specifically 
and using this as an example, moves in our lives to work in the area of our finances. And, and one of the things I'm so proud of is that we had over close to 20 people sign up for this crown ministry course and said, you know what, God, I want to learn more about what it means to handle my finances and to, to begin to get my, my life in, in a place where it's responsible and yet I can give generously. That is so cool. I'm so glad what God is doing in the hearts of our people. Well, today I want to share with you, as we move from those first five verses, I want to talk about the rest of this book, this letter of Galatians. And I want to get an image in your mind that you won't forget. It's a little thing that's on YouTube. It's about a cougar who is protecting her cub from a big, huge grizzly bear. And you may be wondering, well, why do we want to watch a YouTube video? It's just a short little video, but what I want you to notice is the fierceness, the, the anger and rage in this cougar as a mother protecting. And you've got to take a look at it. I wish the picture was longer. But the little helpless look of the cub. Okay? Let's watch it. It's time for the showdown. face you know a lot of times we see anger when it's expressed and we see it as not being good was there anything wrong with that anger why because this mother didn't want anything to harm her little one we're going to read in a few moments some lines from Paul's letter and he's angry but he's good It's good. You're going to see Jesus when you read the Gospels at times, and he'll walk into a temple, and he's good, and he's angry as he clears it so that people who are outside the presence of God can come, and Gentiles in this court can know him. You're going to see Jesus at times, and he'll come, and he'll stand before a bunch of the religious establishment of the day. They were the church of his day. Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and and all these people and he will look at them in the eyes with anger and he'll say, blind guides, you brood of vipers. How dare you? How dare you get in the way and harm my children? You'll see Jesus in his first message make this very statement for the very reason he came. He's like that cougar. 
against the face of this grisly kind of religious group that were seeking to get people confined and, and, and into rules and playing church and, and being this club. And he comes and he says the very first thing after he goes through the temptation, and it says that he returns in the power of God. And people begin to flock around him. He walks into a synagogue and he says this, Here, folks, is why I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That same Spirit, that same energy of God is within me. Because he has anointed me, he has placed upon me a special anointing to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which was something they knew, the year of the Lord's favor, which came every 50 years. But you know what? The year of the Lord's favor he was talking about wasn't now just some one-year time. He was talking about from the day that he came, he brought the kingdom of God so that through his life and his work forever and ever, any person here, any person in the world, anybody who wants to, any of God's children who are sitting there like that cub might know this God. And might know His grace. And might walk in it and, look, and, and, and be a part of it. And, and know God's healing in their life. And know His freedom that comes so that they don't have to live anymore wondering and worrying, well, are you going to approve of me? Are you going to accept me if I live or if I do this thing? And what, will you, what are you going to think about me? And He's going to say, no, you have now as you walk into the grace of God been given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads you by His Word. And as you understand His Word and you are together with other people who are walking hungry-hearted with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, I will lead you. And all you ever have to worry about is whether I approve you. But one thing you can know is I've accepted you because of Jesus. And the message that Paul brings is don't get between God and his kids. That's, that's the letter of Galatians summed up. Paul's good and angry as he writes to the Galatians. He's disappointed in the Galatians. I don't know if he's as angry at the Galatians as he's disappointed because there's the Cubs in a sense. He's disappointed because they have their fickleness. They have so quickly turned from what they have heard. He's disappointed because they have not had discernment. But you know what he's really angry at? He's angry at this group of people called Judaizers who were coming from Jerusalem. See, Paul came from Antioch with Barnabas. They were sent by the Holy Spirit as they fasted and hungered. God, give us something to do. Give us strategies as we're praying as a church. God, we don't want just human strategies that are spot up in some boardroom. We want the Holy Spirit of God to fill our hunger and our hearts and begin to speak to us as people so that we can do the things of God. And they came and they went on this journey and they came to these places and they shared with people the gospel, the grace, the goodness of God to these Gentiles, to Greeks and to all kinds of different people. And as they went there, they saw the joy of God. They saw the life of God in their hearts and they left those places, these small little battalions, these small little communities. And then this group called Judaizers came from Jerusalem, like the big grizzly. I mean, seriously, like the big grizzly against this little cougar, Paul. And they came, and they came in and said, wait a second, wait a second. We've got to share with you some truths that you're maybe not aware of. We come from Jerusalem, and we come from the connection of the apostles, you know, the twelve, the true, legitimate apostles who spent three years with Jesus and walked with Jesus. They heard the message of Jesus. They're the ones who know the real gospel. And let me just share with you, folks, as they came to one village after another that Paul had been to, and let me tell you this, that Paul really isn't an apostle. He's really not fully credentialed. He's not one who spent a lot of time with Jesus. In fact, I don't think he even knew Jesus. 
And I want to share with you a little bit more about this guy, Paul. You know, Paul, he comes with the message. He tells you about God and his grace, but he doesn't tell you the full message. He's not giving you the full gospel. He's not telling you the full truth. Because if you really want to know God and really walk with God, there's more than just what Jesus did. It's what you do. If you really want to walk in the acceptance and love and the presence of God, it's, it's you knowing this God of grace that comes through Jesus. But it's Jesus plus. Let me just add a few things here. And, and, and then if you follow those things like circumcision and, and there's Sabbath and there's a whole lot of things. That, you know, yeah, the list can get a little bit longer as we go, but these are essential. And Paul is angry. And so if you look at this, this, guy, this, this letter, you begin in Galatians. And as we said the last few weeks, we, we've been looking at Galatians, folks. In this letter, they used to send them in parchments that were rolled up in a scroll with a seal. And on the, on the front of that letter, you would always have the name of the author, just like we have in an envelope today. And you would have the return address, the name of the author, the Apostle Paul, and all who were with me, he writes. And then you have on that, on, that, on that same parchment who it's to, to the churches of Galatia, like in the letter on that, you know, here's who it's addressed to, Galatia. And then they were often in a scroll because often you, a, a writer might write a couple letters to a certain place or to a certain person. They would let the greeting be there because the greeting kind of defined what maybe the letter was about. And so you have this greeting that we've been looking at. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's the scroll. Now we're at the point to open. We're ready to rip open the letter. We're ready to take this parchment and pull the seal apart and to look at the rest of the letter. Can you see the people of Galatia sitting around going, well, what does Paul have to write? And they open it. And, and, and Paul usually, when he would write a letter, would give expressions of thanks. The very first things he would say is, you know, I'm so thankful for you. Your, your faith has rung out around all the whole world. People are talking about your incredible faith and love. Or often he'll start out and he'll say, oh, I can't, I'm just breaking the prayer. I thank God for every remembrance of you. And they open up the letter. And he writes, I'm astonished. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach, you let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you had accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God right now? Am I trying to please men? Listen, church of Galatia, listen to church at Wyzetta, listen to people who hear this. If I were still trying to please men, says Paul, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'd be one of the Judaizer grizzly bear. Because that's what that's all about. Can you imagine getting that letter? Because Paul is just good and angry. And it's that anger that's uh, the kind of anger that we experience usually that comes out of one's selfishness and out of protecting something that I want. And, and, and it's, it's out of a, a parental kind of love for this little church of people who were so hungry and so excited about the message they received when all of a sudden this large grisly group of Judaizers come in and they say, wait a second. And the very first thing he's really angry about as you read in this letter is that they're deserting Jesus. 
It's the very first thing. There's three reasons I think he's really angry. They're deserting Jesus. They reject the gospel of grace. And then last, the issue that he's most concerned about, this is about heaven and hell. This is about life now with God in his presence for eternity or life without God in hell. That's what he's saying. That's what he's really angry about. And so he begins, he says, you know what, folks, you're, you're rejecting, you're deserting Jesus. You're going AWOL. Not on me, Paul, Paul's writing, but the personal invitation that came through me to you from God. That's who you're rejecting. It's God's call. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Now, you may wonder, is that Paul? Are you sure that's not Paul? He's saying the one. He's just using it kind of instead of putting his name in there. Well, one of the best ways to understand God's word, one of the best ways to understand Scripture is to look at Scripture itself, where the author speaks again about the similar thing. So if you just go down to verse 15 in chapter 1, you'll see that he says regarding himself the very same kind of thing. He says, but when God, who sent me apart from birth, and called me by his grace. We, we folks think so often that the persons that God calls are usually the saints, the pastors. You know, some of them are like, yeah, not me. And the, you know what? God calls each and every one of you. Personally. You didn't hear a message. You didn't hear it from, from a pastor. You didn't hear it from maybe reading it in a book. You didn't hear it when you sang a song. Maybe when you were walking and, and God spoke to your heart. That was from God. And don't let anyone ever come in and call you away from that personal invitation that comes from God. Ever. That's what he's angry about. He's good and angry because he sees his little cubs and he sees these Judaizers coming in, not with a message from God, but with a message from themselves. And so he says, you know what? You're deserting God. Think about it. God, through the Holy Spirit, calls you to belong to Jesus. We all love being in clubs, don't we? We all love the identity that comes from being from something that gives us a little stature. But let me tell you, folks, you belong to the God of this Heaven and earth, who through Jesus Christ calls you, you, there is no greater place to have your identity. Don't ever be afraid to say to someone, you know what? God called me. God called me. He's also angry because he's, he's, he's really good and angry because they're rejecting God's grace. This is really critically important. Paul is ticked because they're... They're really, what's happening here is they had a religion. See, some of these people, they may not have thought of God. They may have had a lot of God. They may not have cared about God. For some reason or another, they were in a religion, which is basically their ability to try and find acceptance and gain acceptance with God through their works, through their goodness, through some kind of ritual, through some kind of organized faith. They all had that. And what happens is, Paul comes along, gives them a personal invitation from God that they may step into the grace of God and that relationship that comes and that acceptance that comes to the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And these guys come along and they really all they're doing is causing them to trade religions. And I want to tell you, folks, within our church, not here, but I'm sure they're still here even within this church and churches around the U.S. There's a lot of people who are just trading religions. They don't know the grace, and they don't live in that grace. Faith by faith by faith in grace. That's how you walk. That's how you live. That's how you grow. And so you hear him, and he makes this interesting statement in verse 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting the one who called you by what? The grace of Jesus Christ. And catch this, are turning to a different gospel, 
a different good news is what that means, which is really no good news at all. No gospel at all. And evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. You are, you are beginning to walk in this grace. You're beginning to understand the love and acceptance and, and, and move into this and by faith begin to see the power and work of God move in your life. And, and now you went from, from, from this religion that you once had where you're trying real hard to please God and be accepted by God and, and you experienced it for a moment. Now some people have come in and confused you because they perverted the gospel. They brought you back to this trying hard. But instead of maybe back to what you were, you don't realize that now you're moving into this Jesus plus something else, which is really just a religion. It's no different. In fact, it's no gospel at all. For example, let me show you how he changes this. If i standing here with a glass of water, right? And I was to take this glass of water and drink it, it's just fine. But if I take some very highly toxic poison, twice as deadly as a venom that comes from a viper, and I pour it a little bit in, how many would raise their hands and say, I'd like a drink? Is it the same stuff? Is it water now? He's basically saying that's the way it is with gospel. Gospel, undiluted, pure grace of God, combined with anything else, you have now no longer the pure, undiluted gospel. You can't call it good news. Now, now, now think about this, folks. What if I were to come down and, and, and to, to a few of these younger children, and, and, and I began to, some of these kids, they say, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. It's really good. I just put in some stuff that really makes it better. And you know it's poison. What would you do? How would you feel? What's the image that should come to your mind? How, church, should we react anytime we see anything added to the pure, undiluted grace of God? We get really angry. We get really upset, don't we, on TV when we watch and we see that a person who is, who is stronger and wiser and, 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 and able to take their, their skills and charisma and manipulate people, and especially little children, so that they can begin to control them and then they can use them for their own and maybe abuse them and actually possibly even sexually abuse them. How do you feel about that? You've got to get angry, good and angry. Nothing wrong with it. That's what Paul's feeling. He op- they open the letter and he, he goes, I am astonished that once you receive the personal invitation from God, some people come in and they're going to confuse you and pervert the gospel, and it's really no good news at all. They've added poison to it. It's toxic, and I don't want it to harm you. So I'm going to write the rest of this letter to explain to you what it means. And why it's so important to walk in the gospel and to live in that. Because the slightest addition to it changes everything. This is no minor turning. This is no slight turn. You're not just adding a few things. You're rejecting the very grace of God, which is a gift. You're rejecting a relationship with God that is due to the work of Jesus, his life and his death, which accomplished everything for you. There is nothing more for you to do. You can come in your sin. You can come in any place you can. The only thing you can't come in is pride. The only way you cannot come into his presence is to say, God, I don't really care, but I'm running my own life. The only way you can come into his presence is like that little cub broken, that little cub dependent that comes and says, I long for your grace. 
And Paul is so, so concerned because he is concerned that what they are beginning to share with him is no longer the grace of God. It's all about religion. It's about works again. You see, they're deserting the call to live with with God on the basis of grace, on the basis of the love that is in God for them. We never, ever walk in faith on the basis of anything in us, even our love for him. Catch that. You are on troubled water the moment you think in some way that you are called to walk on the basis of your love for him. The foundation on which you stand is the grace of God, the grace of God alone. The basis of that is on his love. It says in 1 John, we loved him first because what? No, we love him because he first loved us. We love him this moment and the next moment and the next moment to the next day to the next day to the next day to the next year to the next year to the next year to eternity because he first loved us. And it's all grace. It's not because you keep some rules. It's not because you even come to church. It's not because you give some money. It's not because you serve in some way. It's not because you're with a group of people who think the same way. And it's not because you just got all the doctrines right. It's not by what you even believe of all the doctrines. It's about one truth and one truth only. And that is that God himself so loved us that he gave his son that he on the cross, took care of our sin and all our shame and all our guilt, and he removed all that condemnation, put it on a cross so that we can be in relationship with him day in and day out. We don't live a cycle of guilt and shame any longer. We walk in the presence of this God who loves us, and when we experience that love, all we can say is, thank you, God, what can I do for you today? And and until you get the, the fullness of this gift, and when you do get the fullness of the gift, You understand that you live in a new identity, a new sense of power. You have a new sense of God who is filling you and changing your heart. And you want to be his because it's a gift. An example of it this week. Last Thursday, I um, was kind of rushing out of the garage to get to a lunch. And uh, some of you know me, I rush a lot. So anyway, I kind of pull out of the garage and, and I get to a certain point and then I pull back real fast and I see my dogs are in front of me because they're running thinking I'm going to go out. And I'm pulling back real fast and as I'm pulling back real fast looking this direction, I hear a, a real loud bang, bang under the car. And within a second I hear this dog yelping and crying, bloody murder. And my heart just sinks and I step on the brakes and I open the door and I look under the car and here is this dog looking up at me balled it on its head here and I'm just thinking I've either crushed its hip or broken its back or you know what your mind is thinking and I'm down on my knees and afterwards I felt my knees were in pain I must have hit the ground so hard and I'm thinking to myself do I pull the dog out or do I not and I I decided I pull the dog out and as I pull the dog out the dog out of fear and pain and everything else starts biting at me my other dog my older dog who just thinks I'm the world you know everything is her favorite and I'm her favorite anyway she comes running after this other dog who's biting me, grabs her by the neck, and starts pulling her. And I'm, I'm now I'm going, you know, I'm yelling, the dogs are going, and, they're, and I, I get the, the one dog off, and I look at the dog Tessa, this little year-and-a-half golden retriever, and I'm looking at her, and she's got this bald spot on her head. She's looking up at me, and I don't know if she can move or not, and I call her. She's afraid. Finally, she starts coming. She walks a little bit. I, I, I see if I kind of, instead of carrying her, because she's afraid to be carried, I walk her, get her into the garage, put her on this blanket. I spend about 10 minutes with her. I'm, I'm feeling her back. I'm feeling her ribs. She's not 
whining or carrying on or anything. Then I pull, walk away a little bit. She walks over towards me, and I pet her on the side of the head without the bald spot. And um, now which is getting a little bloody. Anyway, and, I, and she starts wagging her tail. And I just thought, what a gift. It could have gone differently. I, it was a gift. And I remember thinking to myself, I have nothing to boast about. Like Paul says, it is the gift of God so that no man could boast, not because of works. I sat there and I thought, I, I couldn't come before you and say, you know, I was really, I'm pulling back and I see out of the corner of my eye in the mirror, see this dog and I swerve and I just miss it. And just, I didn't do that. I didn't pull the dog out and, and give it mouth to mouth resuscitation. I mean, there's nothing I did but everything in a sense that could have been bad. And I just said, thanks, God. Thank you so much. How much credit do you take for the things in your life? Is it really about you? I mean, you really that savvy that you got really ahead? It's because, man, it... aren't the things that you have given by the God who loves you and is full of grace? And why would we pollute it in any way and think that somehow our sense of acceptance and his approval of us is going to be because we did something and we tried really hard. And the moment you get into that, you are not in what is called Christianity or being a follower of Jesus. The moment you are overwhelmed by the love of God, he places his Holy Spirit in you and his Holy Spirit makes you a new creation. He gives you a new heart. And out of that new heart, as you begin to experience the love of God and grow in the love of God, you begin to love yourself and even forgive yourself. And through that love and that forgiveness, you begin to love and forgive others because how can you hold anything against anyone when God himself doesn't hold it against you? That's the life of what it means to follow Jesus. And I have to tell you what's really cool is the next thing. Paul says this. He's real clear on this. He, he's Now he's, he's laid it out. He says you've rejected um, Jesus, this personal invitation that comes from God, that's really through Jesus. You've rejected the grace, so you want to go back to religion. You want to somehow think that it's Jesus plus something, and you've become confused and perverted. And I'm going to write the rest of this letter to help you understand, because I love you so much. But here's the real issue. Here's the issue at hand, folks. This is about life and death. This is about heaven and hell. If you choose to want to live in your own goodness, your own pride, you will forever live yourself separate from God. You will forever find yourself in this shape, this, this cycle of trying hard and feeling good about yourself, then blowing it, and then maybe trying to hide that from others and trying hard and then feeling shame and then guilt and then feeling you're going to do this forever and ever and you'll do this forever and ever till eternity. You'll do it into hell. Or you can choose. To recognize that you didn't do anything to make this happen, but someone came to you and God through his word or in some way you heard this incredible truth that the good news of God that comes to you is that his kingdom, his rule, his life is available to you. And I have to say, if you're in high school and junior high, this may not make a whole lot of sense, but someday I pray that you may hear these words. Your walk with God isn't about a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship, about a God who loves you so much that he would do anything for you. He would die on the cross for you, and he just wants to walk with you. And he says, it's about life and death. It's about heaven and hell. And he's angry. And he's angry, rightfully so. This is not some $2 a whole bet. This is stakes that are eternal. This is about knowing God today and knowing him for eternity. 
And this is how serious Paul sees us. He minces no words. Look at what he says in Galatians 8 and 9. But if we or an angel, underline it, an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Anathema. Let him go to hell. And he uses the subjunctive of possibility, if they should. But then he goes on and uses what I call the present of actuality. He goes on and he says, as we have already said, so I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. It's as if he came here and he said to us, anybody in this church, in any Sunday school class, any place, in any small group, in any ministry, is preaching something other than this then let him, let him go where he wants to go. Let him live the cycle of condemnation forever and ever and ever. That's how serious he is. And he says, even if an angel, think about it. Think about how people respond to angels. If you were in your room and an angel came to you, I want to ask you, what would you do if he came and gave you a message? Well, here's what happened to Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. This is why Daniel was trying to make sense of what I was seeing, seeing this vision. Suddenly there was this human-like figure standing before me. And I heard the voice. And he goes on at the end of verse 17. He says, he came up to me. And, but when he got close, I became terrified and fell face down on the ground. That's how people respond to angels. He said, as soon as he spoke, I fainted. And my face fell in the dirt. That's how people respond to angels. Zechariah, when, when an angel of the Lord appeared to him, it says in verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was so startled and he was gripped with fear. Revelation 19, verses 9 and 10. Then the angel said to me, says John, and John, who's been seeing angels, says, walked with Jesus, says, at this I fell at his feet to worship. I was overwhelmed. And the angel looks at me and says, don't worship me, worship God. Okay, so an angel shows up. And he starts telling you, you know what? Jesus is pretty cool, but... You need to add, even if an angel showed up, let him be eternally condemned. Folks, we are about giving people the grace of God. And you may give people the grace of God and not even know that you have when you're with them and you love them. I received this last week, I've had a number of... I've had people calling. God's doing some incredible things in people's lives that they're coming to the church. There's some people who've come and they've come for the first, some here for a few months. One just wrote me, they've been here about eight months and, and they're just, they want to know more about this. They come from a religious background. I won't state which ones, but they want to know more. So then I have this thing happen this week. I have two people show up. One who showed up in my life 20 years ago says, I want to have um, coffee with you. I said, okay. That was on Tuesday, I think. And then I had someone about eight years ago that I had been involved in their life show up and said they wanted to meet with me. Well, I, I listened to the story of the guy who I met with 20 years ago, and I said, you know, do you mind writing it down for me? I'm just not great at recalling the story. So he wrote me the story, and he said, Here's, here it is, Kevin. He says, my nose was running and tears streamed down my face as I sat across from you and confessed how my sin had damaged my relationship with my daughter. She was 14 at the time, 20 years ago. And over those 14 years, we had enjoyed a relationship that had grown out of deep, unconditional love for each other. He said it was just the coolest relationship. When one day she discovered I had been hiding drug use for many years. It devastated her. And when I saw how my sin hurt her, I was devastated too. And I made a call and said, I need to meet with you. And so I came in and you listened. You didn't really say much. 
You didn't condemn me or suggest that I go to chemical dependency treatment or give me some spiritual platitudes to meditate on. You lovingly listened to me, prayed for me, and then you took me to the library and gave me a book by Neil Anderson. And he said the book itself wasn't helpful, but the appendix was great. The appendix was titled The Christian Scriptural Identity and Position. It was here that I began to understand the identity I had as a new creation in Christ by His grace and grace alone. For 25 years as a Christian, for 25 years I lived as a Christian and I didn't understand that at the core of my being I had become something new by the grace of God. I hadn't realized that at my rebirth, my old human spirit was crucified and buried with Jesus, and I was given this new human spirit, and a spirit infused with the spirit of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, the desires of Jesus himself. And prior to that, and understanding my new Christ-earned, Christ-given identity, I always felt that I hadn't really changed as a Christian. I still had the same desires and struggles of my human nature that I had before when I was told about Jesus. And as a Christian, I didn't seem to have any more power to resist these desires than I did before I became a believer. And I was convinced that in God's eyes, I was a pathetic failure. And I hoped that when I died, he would accept me into heaven, but wasn't really sure I was confident even in that when I looked at my life. Why should he? And then I began to understand his grace. Praise be to God. He used my sin, my brokenness, to bring me this snotty-nosed, broken person Revealing in me who I already was in Jesus. All I needed to do is believe it. Now I have confidence to run into his presence even when I've sinned. It's in his presence that I find grace and peace and unconditional love. As I experience his conditional love for me, I just love him more and more and more. It's ironic how my unconditional love relationship with God mirrors the love relationship with my daughter. Well, maybe it's not ironic at all. And he says, Kevin, respectfully, and gives his name, he says, P.S., for years you weren't aware of the grace of God that you gave me. And he says, this should make us all excited about Judgment Day because there's when we're going to find the impact that we've had on other people's lives and we had no idea. And I had someone come to me eight years ago, was in a situation very difficult, um, struggling with, with just, you know, staying mentally you know, stable in a reality and, and had an opportunity to meet and pray with this person. And at the end of the conversation, it was just one of those kind of things where I needed it this week. <laughs> and this person just said, you know, Matthew 25, when it says someone gives a cup of cold water and then you go, I, I don't remember doing that. She goes, you won't remember this, but... Eight years ago, and I, I don't remember this, she said, you were like the face of Jesus. I'm not telling you this is about me. This is about God through people who know his grace, who want his grace, and are willing to give grace, who are not willing to say, you've got to dress this way, you've got to act this way. If you play this music, if you do this, you do that. It's about, it's about people coming into the contact and encounter with the living God and walking in that. And that's what Paul is just upset about. And I'm passionate about. And I believe we are as a church. I'm so excited for us to move forward in that. I'm so excited for everyone who wants to sign their name and say, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. This is the kind of people that I want to be. I'm going to ask the team to come and we're going to sing a song. Think about this song. 
a guy, you know some songs, they stand the, the time, the age. Is, 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 here's a guy in John Newton who was a slave trader. He had lived this horrible life, was ready to end it all, and he met the grace of God. And he lived in that grace. 